Well, for those of you that may not know me, my name is Chad, and I'm the guy that's crazy enough to hope to hold your attention for the next several minutes, because life and faith are extra complicated these days, and you want to get it right. We simply want to help. Uh, so my aim is to drown out the notifications, shopping on Amazon, and whatever else might distract and derail you from wherever you're watching us today. And to start us off today, I wonder if this guy looks familiar to you. Uh, if you ever, with your kids, or maybe you yourself, explored Where's Waldo books, give us a thumbs up or sound off in the comments. This was something that I did with my kids when they were little as far as searching for Waldo. If you're not familiar, Where's Waldo books, they contain various detailed illustrations that depict lots of people doing lots of different things with lots of objects, and they just make the pages uh, very busy. You can see a little glimpse there. And, and the readers had to try and find a character named Waldo. And he's hidden in the group with his red and white striped shirt and his bobble hat. And uh, there would be other things to make it harder. There would be red and white striped objects in uh, the picture that would ultimately trick you into thinking that you had found him. But there was one goal. Find Waldo. And there were times it just felt impossible. Uh, which for many of us is what it feels like to try and find God in our lives at times. It's like we're surrounded by all of this activity and circumstances and people, but finding or feeling God, if he's there, it's just like he's lost in the chaos and the circumstances. In fact, if you've ever experienced a time or circumstances where you've had a hard time seeing or sensing God in the midst of whatever it was that you're facing, just sound off with a yes in the comments or click the thumbs up. Because nearly all of us have experienced seasons or circumstances that made it difficult or nearly impossible to see or sense God. In fact, let's bring it a little closer to home. If right now is a time or circumstance that you're having a hard time seeing or sensing God, sound off with a yes in the comments or click the thumbs up or make it a heart or a sad face, but whatever you prefer, because I want you to see that you're not alone and I, I want others to see that they're not alone. Together, we're experiencing circumstances that can begin to hijack our state of mind or our brains. And for many of you, your current circumstances are fueling a higher level of anxiety and fear. And if you're someone that believes in God, we all know what it's like to have a season or circumstance where it's like we're asking God for something, but we perceive nothing in return. And it's like, where's God? And unfortunately, one thing that can make it harder is people that we see on social media. It's like for them, life seems fine. Like this quarantine is just nothing more than a nice unplanned vacation. In fact, I've got friends a few weeks ago that since they couldn't work, they decided to drive to a beautiful location in Kansas where they went hiking and they posted pictures near waterfalls and hiking trails. And I kind of hated them. Kind of like you hate them right now too, right? Okay, I don't hate them. But, but even before this current world pandemic, I've known men and women that were struggling and they expressed to others that they were struggling to, to see or sense God. And they express that to other Christians and have had Christians tell them, well, you just need to have more faith or, or you need to pray harder or from a particular group, well, you just need to get rid of sin in your life. In other words, the message is it's your fault. You just don't have enough faith. You're not praying hard enough or you've got some secret sin. And, and again, to make it worse, you look at the people around, uh, around you, and for them, it just seems like life is going well. You see their highlight reels all over social media, and for many of them, you think, I don't get it. They're, they're not even good people. Like, I'm a better person than they are. I, they don't even go to church. They're not even Christians. I mean, don't you have some people that you know when it comes to God or, or when even their morals? You feel like you're much more devoted. You're a better person, and yet their life seems smoother 
and more wrinkle-free. You're trying to do the right thing the right way, and life just isn't going that well for you. I mean, again, give us a thumbs up or sound off in the comments. I mean, Church Online is where you get a chance to say yes or amen, even though you're not an amen in church kind of person. Because it can be so frustrating, and after a while, it can begin to accentuate the feeling that if God is silent, God must be absent. If God's not answering my prayer, he's not engaging my circumstances, maybe God isn't aware because he's off doing bigger, better things in China or in Italy. And our faith and our confidence and our hope can be shaken. So over the next three weeks, I hope that you'll stick with us as we learn and gain hope from three individuals whom God loved, yet all of them experienced a where's God moment where it felt like God was unaware, indifferent, or absent. And if you've been part of our community for a while, you know I've spoken on this subject matter before, so it may sound familiar, but because of the nature of life, it's something that we need to be reminded of again and again, and especially right now. And I have some hopes for each of you. My first hope is that I might help you to stop believing in a God that doesn't exist. Because some of you or people you know have embraced a character of God that doesn't exist. Or you or they are frustrated with that God, but that the good and the bad news is that version of God doesn't exist. In fact, over the next three weeks, we're going to identify three versions of God that people believe in that at least according to Jesus and the eyewitnesses do not exist. And the God I want to help you stop believing in today is bodyguard God. And bodyguard God is the God who doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people. The God that will protect you from all things harmful. That God does not exist. And obviously that God doesn't exist, with the primary proof being that Christianity began with a very, very bad thing and very, very bad things happening to a very, very good person. So I'm not sure where that God came into play in Christianity. And as we're going to see, God seemingly not intervening in your personal circumstances is not a reflection of his existence, his presence, or activity in the world or in your world. And secondly, for many of you, Again, you were facing enough challenges before COVID-19, and this has just amplified it all, right? And my hope is that you'll stay engaged with me today and over the next three weeks, and that you might discover or rediscover the God of Jesus, that we can go through difficult and uncertain circumstances, stages, and chapters of life where God seems unaware, indifferent, or absent, and maintain our faith because God isn't unaware. God is not indifferent, and God is not absent. That we don't associate with the difficulty of life, with the character of God. Now, the first individual we're going to learn from, we actually talked about last week over Easter, and his name was John the Baptizer. But before we get to John, we have to start with a man named Herod the Great. He was known as the Great because he was a great builder, and that was about it. He wasn't Jewish, but he was the king of Israel because the Romans needed someone to run Israel, and so they chose Herod, and Herod was a horrible human. He murdered two of his wives, three of his sons, and one mother-in-law. I mean, you may not like your mother-in-law. He had like six, took one out. The emperor of Rome said about Herod, it's better to be Herod's pig than one of his sons. This was the same man that sent soldiers to murder all the babies and toddlers in Bethlehem because he'd heard a boy had been born that might threaten his ambitions. He was so evil that right before he died, he had soldiers round up leading citizens in the region and gave this order. On the day I die, execute them. This way there will be mourning on the day that I die. Because he knew it was going to be a party. And on the day he died, they released the prisoners, and there was, in fact, a huge street party. 
And once he died, Rome decided he had too much power. So they split up the kingdom among his four sons. And two sons specifically become part of the story. Herod Antipas and his brother Herod Philip. And the other character in our story is Herodias. And Herodias married Herod Philip. Well, Herod Antipas went to visit his brother Herod Philip and spent time with his brother's wife Herodias. And by the way, you thought the family names in your family were a bit over the top, like just check out this family, right? So Philip fell in love with his brother's wife, told her, she's like, baby, I love you too. So they ran off together. She divorced Herod Philip, married his brother, moved to Galilee. And now she's the queen of that region. So now they're husband and wife. They're living in this beautiful city that his father built and life is great until the entrance of the new character in this story, whose name was John the Baptist. And again, John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins, and this is important. God sent John the Baptist into Galilee to preach a very simple message, and the message was, knock it off. Whatever you're doing wrong, change your mind, change your direction, and stop doing it. And again, we talked about John last week. He was just an in-your-face, wild-eyed prophet. He wore animal skins and ate locusts. He lived in the wilderness. He smelled. You would never have had John over for dinner. And this is important. God had raised him up to prepare the people, and that's what he was doing. And the people loved John the Baptist, partly because he wasn't afraid of anybody. He'd just say whatever was on his mind, and he began baptizing people in the Jordan River as a sign of repentance and that people were identifying with his message, which is why he was nicknamed John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. The problem was when Herodias married Herod 2.0 and became his wife, this was against Jewish law. And though none of his heritage was Jewish, he was king over Israel. So this was offensive to the Jewish people. And John began to call her out publicly She'd be carried around in her leader through the town uh, or by the river, and she'd hear this wild-eyed man pointing and calling her out, shouting, she's an adulteress, she's an adulteress. She sinned against God because she married her husband's brother. So Herodias hates John the Baptist. She goes to her husband and says, get this guy off the streets. And Herod goes, okay. Now, part of this was because he was afraid there might be an insurrection against him, but also because, as my grandpa said many years ago, and this right here might be the biggest takeaway for you today, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If you think my grandpa was right, just feel free to sound off with a thumbs up in the comments. Uh, But for Herod, mama was not happy. So now you have a little background. And here's what Matthew and Mark tell us. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. And so ultimately, uh, John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias' nurse is like nursing a child that's growing, nursed a grudge against against John and wanted not to imprison him, but to kill him. Because part of what she had done was scandalous, even for the Romans. But she was not able to kill him because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, and yet he liked to listen to him. So every once in a while, he'd have John brought up, preach to me, and he'd preach these crazy messages about the Messiah coming, and here's what God's up to, and you're committing adultery, and he listened to John. He knew there's there's something special about this guy. And as we touched on last week, John the Baptist had been sent by God to announce the coming of Jesus. 
So one day John was baptizing and Jesus walks on the scene and John said, him, he's the one. He's the one I've been telling you about, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world. John said, you need to follow that guy. He actually baptized Jesus. He heard the voice from heaven. He saw the dove come down. In other words, John, John had been perfectly faithful to everything God had asked him to do as perfectly as he knew how to do it. And now he's in prison for doing the right things. And he rotted away in that nasty first century prison day after day after day. Now, John had friends that would visit him in prison, give him information. And John knew Jesus was out there doing miracles, healing lepers, people filled with demons. He was touching people no one else would touch. He's talking to women in public, which was unheard of. He even was healing Roman servants. In other words, Jesus was doing doing all kinds of things for strangers, yet Jesus wasn't doing anything for his own cousin. And his cousin had been entirely faithful to everything that God had called him to do. To make matters worse, Jesus was eating and drinking with sinners. And so John began to have second thoughts. And so John was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, and he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who's to come? Or should we expect someone else? And they had to be like, John, what? I mean, you're the one who told us he's the one. I know, but I'm having second thoughts. I mean, John, you heard the stories of what he's doing. Yeah, but I need some reassurance. Okay, John, if you insist, but you realize we're going to probably have to interrupt something amazing and go time out, Jesus, before you heal number 47 today. Uh, Your cousin wants to ask, your cousin who announced you're the one, are you the one? Or are we waiting for someone else? And see, this is where we live. It's where many of you are today. It's like, like I know God's there in my, in my mind and that he's faithful and in my mind that he hears my prayers, but I'm just not feeling it. I feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and I just need a word. I just need to know, God, I need something unmistakable and undeniable in the middle of my life and my circumstances. For better or for worse, often this impacts our confidence in God and none of us are immune to this. I mean, maybe things were good for a while. Maybe it was even a struggle before all this, but now you're, you're unsure. You're unsure how long you'll have to uh, go without meaningful employment because the world is just like on hold or health insurance is a greater concern or life was far from wrinkle-free before COVID, but now it's just like, when, when, when can I just at least get back to normal? When can I move forward? I, I feel stuck. I feel trapped. Or you have a son or a daughter that's struggling and God's just not answering your prayer. Or you thought by now you would have met the one, but you haven't. And then you see these dumb videos on social media, like this guy on the on the on top of his building, he sees a girl and he sent over a, uh, a, a drone with his phone number to this girl and it started up this romance. And you see it, it's like, that's so romantic. I just want to puke. Because for you, it's just not happening. Or you thought you met the one and it didn't pan out. Or your marriage isn't what you hoped or dreamed it would be. And or you look, or you or a loved one, have a, they get a bad health report, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, because your circumstances are challenging, and your faith is impacted. And we have times like John, where it's just like, a, I'm embarrassed to even confess this, but Jesus, I, I need a little help. I need a little shout out. I, I need to know that everything I believe isn't a lie, because right now, it's just not working for me. Are you the one, really? Or should I look for another? Because following you isn't delivering the results I need right now. I mean, aren't you supposed to keep bad things from happening? And now what we, what we don't realize is that there's something very self-centered about losing faith in God when 
our circumstances go bad. And meaning when, when I hear something bad in someone else's life, I, I may feel bad. I may pray. I may even send money. But if I go through a hard time, I begin to wonder. In other words, when you go through a hard time, I pray. But when I go through a hard time, I doubt. Is God aware? Is he present? I mean, does he care? So, so basically, I lose faith when God is inattentive to my happiness, not yours. You know, when you go through a difficult time, I, I feel sorry and I pray for you and anything else I can do, but I don't go home and lose my faith over your difficult time. And why is that? And part of the answer is in, in a season of difficulty, pain and turmoil, where life is really difficult, we tend to shrink down to the size of us. When we face a crisis or difficulty, it begins to dominate our thoughts. It causes us to lose sleep or saps our energy. And nothing else in life really matters in that moment. Our worldview shrinks to the size of me. And God's strength shrinks to the size of you. Because there is a level of mental and physical pain that makes you unable to care about anybody or anything else. And so consequently, with all he's seen and all he knows, suddenly John's world is no bigger than his prison cell. He begins to doubt. And that's what makes Jesus' response so incredibly relevant to us. Because Jesus doesn't say, of course, you go tell him, of course I'm the one. Neither does he say, I am the one, and I'm getting him out. Instead, he says, here's the message I want you to go back to John with. And, and this is for you and me, when God seems unaware or indifferent or absent from our situation. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. John can't hear past his prison. He can't see past his bars. So you need to go tell him what you hear and see, that the activity of God is going on the world in the world outside his, his prison cell because, of course, he's beginning to doubt. And then Jesus says, make sure you tell him these things. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. You go tell him what you've seen and heard, that God is at work. The implication, I am the one. And as attorney leaves, he says one more thing, and this is the most important part. You tell him this. Blesses anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What? Yes, tell him, blesses anyone who doesn't stumble or away or fall away because of me. Jesus, so you're saying you might actually do things that, that cause, or cause things or allow things that would cause us to stumble away from you? Yeah, so you be sure to tell John, blesses anyone that doesn't stumble away from me because of me, something I've done or haven't done. So you know he's losing faith and deteriorating and that he might die in there. Yes. And I realize it's because of me. So you tell him, hang in there. Don't lose your faith. Don't lose your faith because I haven't chose to bail you out. And that's tough. And for some of you, this next statement is why you're listening today. And this isn't emotionally satisfying, but it's just reality. John the Baptist was going to be in prison no matter how much faith he had, no matter how obedient he had been. Because being in prison was part of what God was doing. And because God bodyguard, God does not exist. Now, let me tell you why this is great news for you. It means that your personal circumstances do not necessarily coincide with how God feels about you. Like John the Baptist, when we're in the wilderness, when it seems like days or weeks or months are passing, and God hasn't done anything for us lately, things seem to be getting worse, we can begin to draw the conclusion that my circumstances reflect the way that God feels about me. And Jesus says, no, proof of how God feels about you is what is about to happen on the cross, not what's happening at school or home or your job or what's happening in your love life or with your kids. 
Don't make the mistake of hanging your faith on what God has done for you lately. So what are we to do? What are we to do when we can't see or sense his existence, his presence, or his activity in our world? And Jesus would give us the same advice that he gave John in prison. And again, you may feel this isn't a very emotionally satisfying answer uh, because this won't change anything as it pertains to your circumstances. However, it changes your perspective. You may be powerless to change your circumstances, but changing your perspective makes more of a difference than we realize. And Jesus would tell us, you look back and you remember. You look outside of your circumstances and reflect. You look back and remember. You look outside your prison walls and reflect on the activity of God. That you look back and remember. You look back and remember the times when God did come through for you. Because what's happening now doesn't take away the reality of past answered prayer, that difficult patch in school or in your singleness or in your marriage. And God did come through. Or when you prayed for your child and God came through, or you were desperate in desperate need of a job or financial help and God showed up, or when you had a difficult time and God revealed himself in a powerful way and it transformed your life. And you look outside your current prison, you remember and take courage from the fact that God was real then. He's just as real now. He was real in December, he was real in March, and he's real now. He's just not expressing his reality the way you want him to now. And then directly to Jesus' advice, you look outside at the activity of God because it's all around us. I mean, on social media, you can see it or you talk with people, you see God working in the lives of people. The challenge is to not feel jealous of it, but to recognize and celebrate it. Even this current crisis, it's thrown nearly everyone off of their regularly scheduled lives. And for many, it's been a good thing. I mean, in fact, if in your life, you've actually seen some good things come out of this current situation, please sound off in the comments. Give a thumbs up. Because for some, this has been exactly what you needed. For many people, it's been exactly what they needed. They needed something to take their lives out, uh, their legs out from under their packed, regularly scheduled lives and to be reminded of what's most important. And better yet, who's most important in their lives? Uh, for many, they, they desperately needed a break from their normal pace of life, but on their own, they would never take it or do it. And people have been forced to spend time with the people closest to them. And for many, this is what they desperately needed. We're also seeing wonderful efforts from churches all over the world to serve those that are struggling. Even two weeks ago, we as a church, we still showed up at Project Laundry in the form of myself and a friend uh, who were masked because almost two years ago, we had begun serving and loving a community of people at Spring, at spring Clean on North Woodlawn uh, the second Thursday of every month just because they needed, needed a hand up. We were able to help about 30 households this last week, and one, the last one being a single mom and her teen daughter. They'd never heard of Project Laundry, and when I handed them these two bags with laundry pods and dryer sheets and a roll of quarter each and then invited them to Easter, the teen daughter got wide-eyed, the mom put both hands on the washer as if to steady herself. And she just teared up saying, you have no idea. You have no idea how much this helps us. Thank you. And if it weren't for our church's existence in our community, we wouldn't have been there. And that's just one very small glimpse. Uh, last week for Easter, our Kids Life Director and two volunteers, they went to the houses of our elementary students and our preschool students, and they hid eggs in the yard so that the children could have an Easter egg hunt. I mean, who does that? Uh, people who are doing whatever they can to show God loves you no matter the circumstance. 
And some of you, one of the best things that you could do when we get back to physically gathering is to join us on a serving team at New Life on the weekends or to serve at Project Laundry. But do something to get outside of your little world and begin to see all the ways that God is active in the world and join in that activity. Because by the nature of pain and difficulty, you can just get so trapped in your circumstances. And again, like John, this won't change your circumstances. It wasn't John's fault he was in prison. In fact, he was in prison for doing the right thing. So Jesus says, tell John he's got to catch a glimpse of the activity of God outside of his little world. And if he does, he'll maintain his faith. He'll be assured God is aware. He isn't indifferent or absent. And yes, though this isn't the story that I would write, I was in fact sent by God. And I am part of something bigger that God is doing. Now, most of you know the story doesn't end well for John. There's a big drunken party, a teen girl dances, and with the help of her mother, Herodias, leverages the king's foolishness and pride to have John beheaded and his head brought on a platter. And it's not long after that some very insecure religious leaders pay to have Jesus betrayed and arrested and tried and mocked and lied about and crucified, and God does nothing to stop it. Why? Because bodyguard doesn't, God doesn't exist. And because Jesus being betrayed and arrested and tried and crucified was part of God's plan for something bigger for you and for me. The God of Jesus did not move one millimeter off his throne because God was right where God wanted and needed to be. And the events unfolded just the way God wanted them to unfold. And no, it wasn't the script that Jesus or John the Baptist would have written for themselves, but they still chose to trust their heavenly father. And at the end of Jesus' life, he actually asked the Father, is there any way, any way other than suffering and being put to death for the sins of mankind? And the Heavenly Father said, no, this is my plan. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. We're celebrating it like last Sunday. 2,000 years later, people's lives are continuing to be transformed by what seemed to be a lack of awareness or an indifference or absence by God, the very God these two cousins chose to follow and worship. And God reaches beyond the first century and speaks directly to you and to me when Jesus says, blesses anyone who does not stumble on account of me. There is more to this life than this life. And even when our lives end on this earth, it is not the end. God is paying attention. He knows your name. He knows your circumstances. God says, I see your frustration and your hopelessness and that you're on the verge of walking away and giving up. But don't, don't give up. Don't give up on me. No matter how long it takes or if your circumstances ever change, just know there's something bigger than you for you. So today we begin this discussion. Tomorrow you will wake up with the very same challenges that you face today. But if you will stick with us over the next few weeks, what can transform is your perspective, which can make all the difference while you wait to see all that God has in store for you. Let me pray for us. God, I don't take lightly what those that are listening or watching today are are going through. Father, we're all facing a disrupted life and things that are creating a little more anxiousness as far as the future of our country and our finances, but more specifically, the future of our lives and the people that we care about. But God, just like when Jesus gave his life for us, you have not moved a millimeter off your throne. And so I pray for all of us, Father, that trust in you that you would give us the courage And God, that you would help us to lean into that faith that we have. And for Father, for those that are struggling or beginning to doubt or beginning to wonder, God, that you you would do something dramatic, do something unmistakable just to reassure them and encourage them. 
And Father, I just pray this in the name of Jesus, who led the, ultimately led the way of what it looks like to trust you in spite of terrifying circumstances. And it's in his name that we pray, that I pray. Amen. Again, thank you so much for joining us this week. I uh, would love for you to click the connect card that's in the comments, and we'd just love the chance to get to know you. That's your next step. And then the step after that is to just join us again next week and invite a friend. All right, we'll look forward to seeing you next Sunday.